Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Ben Hogan Golf, Two Under, Taylor Made Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for joining me tonight here on Next on the Tee. I appreciate the fact that you continue to make the show a part of your weekly golf content. want to start off by reminding you about one of our sponsors, the Macklemore, which is a fantastic community resort and golf course, just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee on Lookout Mountain. And folks, go online to themacklemore.com, and Macklemore is M-C-L-E-M-O-R-E. TheMacklemore.com, so you can see how beautiful and majestic the course is. It's co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. Our friend Kip Henley said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. See why he says that by checking out the course and the resort online at TheMacklemore.com. Okay, on to tonight's show. And my first guest is a great friend on and off the air and one of the top instructors in the game, and that's Rob Strano. Rob's Golf Academy is located in Destin, Florida at Kelly Plantation Golf Club. Rob is also the host of the only golf variety show on television, The Golf Kingdom, which you can find on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and Blab TV as well. Tonight, I want to get Rob's thoughts on Bryson DeChambeau and his 48-inch driver, which is going to lead to another thing and kind of a theme of the night that I want to get his input on, which is the issue of distance and the idea that it's taking away the art of shot making, at least at the pro level. We'll also talk about what he expects to see from a November Masters. Plus, we'll get a couple of playing tips as well. Really looking forward to having Rob back as part of the show. He's going to join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from PGA Master Professional, one of the top 50 women instructors, and that's Kelly Stenzel. I'm going to get Kelly's thoughts tonight on, uh, you know, kind of the opposite side of that distance issue. How can we hit it longer, right? Not the pros, but how can the rest of us hit it longer? She put an article together for Golf Magazine on her top 10 tips for how we can do so. So really looking forward to getting into each one of those. Plus, we'll talk about the fundamentals. We'll talk about a proper grip, proper ball alignment, and you know, are they the same on every shot? And if not, when do we know when we need to change them? Looking forward to having Kelly back on the show. She's going to join me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a visit from John Gowen. John is the owner of Timber Trust Golf Course in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Prior to that, John was the head golf professional at TPC Southwind in Memphis for nearly 17 years. And you guys know TPC Southwind is the site of the WGC event that Justin Thomas won earlier this year. We'll certainly talk about his time there. Plus, what led him to buy Timber Trust and some of the unique things he's doing there to attract players, including using one of our sponsors, Finn Cycles, to help people play a round of golf in two to two and a half hours. Really looking forward to having John as part of the show. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Teen, as always. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Want to kick off the show like I always do by saying hello to my good friends Mitch and Matthew Lawrence and remind you about their great golf shows. 
Mitch's podcast is called Talking Golf Getaways, and he and his co-host Darren Bunch, they're going to let you know about great places to go stay and play around the U.S. and Canada. They're also going to let you know about some of the hidden gem courses that you might not be aware of. So you can stream their podcast over on GolfTripX.com, and it's also available on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. Folks, if you love golf and travel, their show needs to be at the top of your must-listen-to list. They're going to marry those two things better than anybody. They do an outstanding job. They're both great guys, and I love their show. Matthew's show is called Backspin Golf. It's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern Tea Time. I never miss an episode because Matthew's fantastic, and so are his guests. His uh, first guest that leads off the show every week is our good friend Perry French. So you know there's a lot of great instructional and equipment tips right at the top of the show. Matthew's got a wealth of other really fantastic guests as well. You can stream the show online by going to WLXG.com or by downloading the WLXG app. Tune in. Folks, I'm telling you, you're going to love the show. And folks, this segment of our show is brought to you by TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X Golf Balls. They are played by Dustin Johnson, John Rum, Rory McIlroy, Jason Day, and Ricky Fowler. It's the hottest tour ball in golf. Now, I know you know those names, but thousands of other golfers have already made the switch to TP5 and TP5X, and it's also available in high-visibility yellow. Are you the next to make the switch? Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back in making his 10th appearance with me here on Next on the Tee is not only one of the top instructors in the game, but like I said at the top, one of the great friends I have on and off the air and that's Rob Strano. Rob is the host of the Golf Kingdom TV show, which you can find on Amazon Fire TV, Roku, and Blab TV as well. Let me remind you a little bit about Rob's background. He's from St. Louis, Missouri. As a junior player in the St. Louis district, Rob won the individual low-stroke average trophy and individual points championship trophy back in 1981. Played his college golf at Centenary College in Louisiana. Played out on the PGA nationwide and the Hooters NGA tour for about 15 years and he won five times out there. Rob is annually recognized by U.S. kids as one of their top instructors and he's also one of the few in the game teaching it to deaf children. Rob has his Strano Golf Academy at Kelly Plantation in Destin, Florida and as always I'm very honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey Rob how are you my friend? Rob Strano here. Chris Mascaro are you there? I'm here Rob. I'm with you. Chris, great great to have you next on the tee. Whoa, one of the top podcasts in the universe. Chris Mascaro, the host of Next on the Tee. I don't know if there's a, a podcast any better than this. Chris, great to talk to you again. Let's start this off right away with a fill-in-the-blank question. Are you ready, Chris? Here we go. <laughs> fill-in-the-blank. As you get closer to the green, you get closer to the blank. What do you got for me, Chris? Closer to the ball. Exactly. One thing players don't do is they don't get close to the ball as they get closer to the target, especially when you putt. Boy, you get in close when you putt. But also, chipping, you see players that kind of set up in their full swing setup, Chris, and they don't get in there closer, and they really struggle with contact. Very good, man. You know, great, you're a great player, so I expected you to, to get that one perfect. And, you know, being a great player, Chris, one thing our listeners want to know is they want to know, when you play golf, Chris, what's a shot that you fear or struggle with? Oh, I'm terrible out of the bunkers. Like out of the bunkers, what what is your struggle? Do you have fat, thin? Is it offline? What's what do you struggle with the most, Chris? 
Yeah, it's, it's it's probably a combination of those two things, Rob. I'm either I'm either hitting it fat, leaving it in the bunker, or I'm blading it way across the uh, to the other side of the green. Gotcha. Well, you know, one of the keys in the in the bunker, Chris, for for you and and all the listeners of the show tonight. Once again, we've got Christmas Carol with us, one of the top golf podcasts in the universe. Is you want to keep your center in place. You don't want to be shifting your swing center around or your low point. So when you get in the bunker. You kind of want to get yourself 60-40 on that front leg, and you want to stay there. The problem with thins and fats is up and down movement and side to side. So when you get in there, really get your legs strong, Chris. Lock yourself in place and try to feel more of an upper body action with your hands and your arms. I bet you find you clean up that low point, and you stop blending it and hitting way behind it and hitting fat. And, you know, at this time of the year, we're always thinking about fall golf, Chris, and it's a great time of the year, and one of the things we've missed in fall golf this year is the Ryder Cup. You know, tell me, what were your thoughts on the Ryder Cup not being played this year? Ah, disappointed, just like everybody. I mean, that's one of the highlights, and we look forward to it every other year. Now we got to wait a whole other year. We'll go three years before we get to see it again. So disappointed for the fans, disappointed for the match. So, um, yeah, kind of let down it uh, that we weren't able to do it. But understand why. Without the crowd, it's nothing. You know, that's an interesting point. The players said without the crowds, it's nothing. But let me ask you this question, Chris. If this is about playing for your country and it's about the game of golf right now, which is roaring right along despite what's going on ancillary to us in the, in the world, the game of golf is roaring. And it's about playing for your country. Wouldn't you think a great decision would have been to play the matches and maybe mic up all the players, let them be heard, everything that goes on, and let them go play for their country, and just play the Ryder Cup and not make it so much about the money. Yeah, and I hear you, Rob, and I don't think it's, you know, certainly about the money, but I think without having the crowd behind you, I think that's part of the allure of the Ryder Cup is that sort of home course advantage and how, you know, sort of jacked up all the the local fans get and the the yelling and the screaming and all that sort of stuff and rooting for your, to your point, rooting for your country and rooting for the players representing your country. So I, I, I just think minus that, the Ryder Cup loses a little something. My, my view is it's an honor to play for your country. I'll, I'll play with fans, without fans. You can put the cardboard cutouts like they've got in baseball out there. <laughs> I'm going to play for America and play for the good of the game. <laughs> Indeed. I get you. So – at what point did I lose control of my own show? Where where did that happen? How did how did that happen? Right? I just want to see I want to see how long it would take or how hard you'd work to get control of that. <laughs> hey, if, look, if life's not unpredictable, it's a boring travel, isn't it? Indeed, I agree with that. Now, so Rob, I I, I want to get into a lot of things with you tonight, but I really want to just start off with how, how are things there in, in Destin, Florida? I mean, you guys were sort of right in the path of Hurricane Sally. You had a, had a lot of it sort of down in that region. How did everything clean up in Destin? We were really lucky. You know, when it turned back to the east and punched Gulf Shores and the Pensacola area, we got a, a ton of rain. I think I even sent you a, a, a gift from my TV show where I did a Carl Spackler in my own backyard ankle deep or actually, you know, mid-calf deep in, in a pond in my backyard in the middle of the prairie that's not normally there from all the rain. We got 15 to 20 inches of rain, and I was out there doing a segment for my show about how to hit it out of, 
maybe unexpected deep water in your own fairway. And I had a blast doing that. But um, we did okay. We we had you know a few winds down, lots of pine straw, lots of water, but we didn't take the the punch like they did over to our west. Rob, one of the the themes of tonight's show is going to be around distance, and you know we're hearing um, you know Bryson DeChambeau is going to put a 48 inch driver in play at the Masters, and I, I kind of want to get your thoughts, you know, for from a strategy perspective. When you think about, and you and I were at, at Augusta National, you and I have both walked that golf course and we know what it looks like. And, you know, I, I think Bryson is going to try to drive every green that he possibly can. Your thoughts on that as a strategy. Is that the right way to go when you're thinking about playing in a Masters? This coming show that comes out this Wednesday on the Golf Kingdom, I actually talk about 13 and 18 at Augusta. 13, he can actually drive it into the 14th fairway. The dog leg is irrelevant to him there. He doesn't have to turn it. He can hit it up the left tree line straight and hit it out on the 14th fairway and probably hit no more than a wedge into 14. And 18, he can take it over the bunkers like they used to and hit it out in the old practice area and once again hit a wedge in. So there's no dog leg to any of those holes. But what I did was I did this. If he averages 340 yards off the tee, okay, and you take away the length of the par threes from the overall Augusta number of like 74, 75 yards wide. It's like 7,475 yards from the tips. You subtract the par threes and then take 14 tee shots times 340, subtract that number, take the remaining number and divide it by 14 approach shots. He would only average 140 yards in approach shots, which means like the fairway bunker on 10 that's that beautiful decorative bunker down there. That's in play. He can drive it into that bunker, Chris. Wow. That's crazy. I, crazy. You know, I can't imagine stepping up to the first tee and just wailing away at it and, and trying to drive the first green. I mean, everything about, you know, what could happen there. And, and you know, Augusta National won't take that lightly. So I'm, I'm just curious, Rob, what it's going to be like and, and curious to watch it because as we know, Rough is not an issue at Augusta National. It's a second shot golf course. Well, if his second shots are a pitching wedge, God forbid he, he breaks 60 at Augusta National. I, everyone would lose their I, mind. I, I did an online poll on Twitter and I, I, it was, can, can, can Bryson, will Bryson break the tournament record? Can he shoot better than 20 under? And can he shoot better than 25 under? That's, that's the big thing. Remember, there's four par fives. And for him, he the, the eighth hole will probably be the longest par five where he might hit five iron into it. Because two, he's going to blow it over the bunker where the fairway is 70 yards wide. And it goes downhill and swoops left. He may hit eight or nine iron into two. Okay? Eight, he might hit five iron into. Thirteen, he's going to hit wedge. 15, he's going to hit wet. I mean, there, I mean, he could, he could literally be 16 under on the park pop alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I, you know, I like I say, be, I, I know it's going to be must, must watch theater when he's on the golf course. Absolutely must watch. Agreed. So, to that end, Rob, where, where the game is starting to become, you know, 
starting to become. We've been talking about this, I think, for the last couple of years, a bomb and gouge sort of game. Drive it as far as you can. Doesn't matter if it's in the fairway or not, because if you have a, a nine iron, a wedge in your hand from the rough, you're going to get it on the green and you're going to score. It seems like the game, what the game has lost is sort of the artistry to it, right? The shot shaping and, you know, imagination and that sort of thing. And I, I may be the old guy that's screaming at the kids to get off my lawn, but that just doesn't <laughs> seem like that, you know, the, you know, golf to me. That doesn't seem like, you know, at the pro level. For us, it's all different for, for, you know, hackers like me, but it's, it's just not the, the same sort of game. Does that need to change or do we just got to accept the fact that, you know, this is how golf is going to be. It's just going to be hit it as far as you can and then wedge it on. And however far under par you get is how under par you get. I think the answer to that is yes. I think, and I've been on the USGA and the RNA for a long, long time. They've been totally derelict of the duty of managing the game, of paying attention to the game, protecting the game. They're great historical bodies, but when it comes to um, overseeing the game, they're pathetic. I mean, they're, they're, they're beyond pathetic. They're brutal. And I've always said the USTA ought to put together an advisory board. Why they haven't done that, I don't know. But it should involve key members of golf, starting with Mr. Nicholas, who has been saying things to them for about as long as I have, and they keep patting him on the head and going, oh, look, at, isn't he cute? Look at, look at him <laughs> with all his major trophies. He's so cute. Go, go on, go, go sit down and just, you know, enjoy the golf over there. The guy's brilliant, smart. He is, you know, an asset to the game if you listen to him. And an advisory board would start, should start with Mr. Nicholas. It should have some of the top coaches in the game. I start with me and Michael Breed, who love golf like nobody else, who are knowledgeable like nobody else when it comes to the history of the game who are fine players also. Um, I, I have a, several tour players, several of the top amateurs in the game, and, and hashed it out. But that's too smart of an idea um, to happen. And I think we're, we're stuck with where we are. There's no rolling the ball back. There's no rolling the equipment back. It is what it is. Um, you know, we, we use the word shot-making. But a, a, word, a, a phrase I I like better is we've lost the ability to have ball control, which means I have to control how the ball spins, that it doesn't spin too much and back up off the green into the lake, or doesn't spin off into the bunker, or doesn't overhook or overslice. You know, and I don't know that you can manufacture that back into the ball, but that's where we are. Um, you know. I think back to a shot I hit in U.S. Open qualifying way too many years ago where I was in a playoff and I drove it in the left rough because I wasn't going to be a chicken because there was rough left or rough left, out of bounds left, and everybody else in the playoff hit it 80 yards into the right tree. I was like, hit a shot here, have some guts, hit a shot, and I just pulled it a couple steps into the left rough. But I was behind a tree and I had to hit a hook, you know, around this tree, but I had that wall of trees in the right rough. And I hit this four iron that went 30 yards forward and 80 yards left and was just sizzling. You just can't do that now with the golf ball. And if I tried to do that now, I'd go straight into the trees across the fairway. And Rob, that's an, that's an excellent point. I mean, we talk about the distance that the golf ball flies, 
but we don't talk about how much less spin it has, and not just spin from a wedge, and as you mentioned, you know, landing on the green and spinning back off, but side spin, right? The curvature of the ball for for if you want to slice it a little bit, you want to hook it a little bit. Not only the golf ball goes far, but it just doesn't spin sideways as much as it used to. So it's easier to hit shots straight online. Talk about that piece of it. Now, I'm going to preface it with this. All you listeners out there, I am not saying that you've got to play with the more spinny ball. The, the USGA has a conforming ball list that you can only use in competition. I, I have not seen the list in a while, but I'm pretty sure a tour player can't use a pinnacle. I don't think that's in the conforming ball list. So I may be wrong. I don't know. But there's a conforming ball list. So I'm saying you have a conforming ball for competition that has a spin in it, but everyone else, I've always been an advocate of that quote-unquote bifurcation of the rules to an extent. I think everybody out there playing for fun, you know, if you have a driver that's got an explosive charge in it, have at it, baby. Just be sure you wear ear protection, you know. <laughs> Whatever you've got to have fun with golf and, and hit it farther or hit it straighter or that improves the game improvement stuff. It's a hard game, and you watch it week in, week out on the tour. Um, it's a hard game, especially at the, at the level of the recreational player. And, you know, I said this on my TV show the other day, and I believe this to the 100th percentile. And I just did it twice in a lesson today. I said, if everybody that played recreational golf set up with their shoulders and arms arranged at setup, that you looked at him and you, you looked at him and you said, this player is going to hit a hook, not a draw. They're going to hit a hook. Their shoulders are closed and their left arm's higher than their right. I guarantee you handicaps would come down immeasurably immeasurably over the next year if everybody endeavored to do that and you have a lot less slices of the ball, but everybody's the other way. The right shoulder's high, the left shoulder's back, right arm's high, left arm's back, and they're hitting the big peeling crop crop duster to the right. Rob, I want to switch gears a little bit, and I want to get into some playing lessons from you. And um, On a recent episode of the Golf Kingdom, I was watching your tips for how to putt on aerified greens. We all have to deal with, you know, our greens, our local greens being aerated once or twice a year. Um, talk about how can we do a better job focusing on the putt and not letting the thought about it's going to bounce and all of these holes and, you know, everything that can kind of negatively crop into our minds because the greens have sand on them and that sort of thing. How can we do a good job of just getting up there, lining up the putt as we normally would, stroking it and, like I say, make a good putt and not worry about that other stuff. Well, the first thing we have to realize is once we hit a putt, it's outside of our control. It's like a golf shot where I can control it in the air. I can make it go low, high, curve, right to left, whatever. I can control a ball in the air. A ball on the ground is out of control. The greens can be a gust of perfect, and there are still small imperfections in the green. So the genesis of this thought happened on tour. I was playing a Monday qualifier in Cleveland, at a, a fantastic Donald Ross course called Montekiki. If it's still there, you go to Cleveland, find Montekiki. It's a fun little course. But we show up for the Monday qualifier, and the greens have been punched like 10 days prior. And every player there was just complaining up one side, down the other. 
And Jay Haas told me one thing years ago, having grown up with Jay. Jay said, I loved it when I heard the other guys complaining because I knew they were already beat or something was already in their head. So I said, I'm not complaining. I got a putt on him. We all got a putt on him. I'm going to putt good. And I remember in the practice round, I hit a putt, and my thought was, I'm putting on a waffle iron. I can't control it once it leaves the putter face. So I'm not going to look up. I'm going to focus on doing everything in front of me 100% correct. Keep my head down. I'm going to hit it. I'm not going to look at the putt. I'm just going to hit it. And then maybe after a while, look up, you know, whenever I felt like it. And it's funny, I watched the next day, I made everything, Chris. When I say everything, I mean everything. I shot a couple under par, I finished third in the qualifier, easily got the tournament. And I remember on 17, had about a 10, 15 footer for par. I had a, hit a good iron shot up the hill and it went just over the green. And I had a little bird nesty lie that didn't come out. And, probably hit an airification hole and didn't roll down there. And my focus was, do what you've been doing. Do what you can in front of you. Hit the best putt you can hit. Then after that, it's out of your control. And I remember looking up and watching the last five foot of the putt, and it would have rolled, rolled in a thimble. It was perfect. I mean, it, it just rolled right in. And then on 18, I hit a good shot right over the flag to maybe 20 feet down the hill. And I kind of Ginsburg it down there two feet from the hole. And I don't know I've ever been more nervous over a putt in my life because I had a two-footer, big moment, hadn't made a mistake all day. And I'm like, same thing. I'm not in control of this. This could go anywhere. And But my thought was, rely on what you've been doing. Do it one more time. And I hit the putt and went right in like it was nothing. Rob, I also want to get a, another thought from you around um, a myth in the game of golf. And you talk about this in, in your uh, It's uh, Just Hot Air segment, that the green always breaks towards the water. And I think that's something that I've always thought. And, you know, anytime I'm lining up a putt, even if it looks flat or if it looks like it, it might break back a little in the opposite direction, I always think in my head, it can't. can't break right. It's got to break towards the water. And now when you see that, you know, you talk about how, um, you know, the course can set it up and bulldoze it any way they want. So you can't always fall into that. Talk about how you take a look at a, a, a putt that's seemingly going to break towards the water, but it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. And I, I always laugh when I play at, at Torrey Pines in La Jolla and the San Diego Open. And they're always saying the Pacific Ocean's to his left. It's going to go to the left. What's the scientific pull of the Pacific Ocean? How do you measure the pull of a, the Pacific Ocean on a putt? Or in, in Palm Springs, it breaks towards India. Or in Phoenix, it breaks, breaks towards the valley. No, it breaks where the slope is. So I can bulldoze a green and make it break. You can have the Pacific Ocean to the left. I can bulldoze a green and make it break all day away from the Pacific Ocean if I want to. Back when they laid out courses, and they just looked at it and went, hey, let's put a green over there. And they kind of took a horse and drugged the ground and put the green there. Well, then, yeah, it followed the natural topography or slope of the ground. But in modern golf, they can make it slope anywhere. We've got two greens at Kelly Plantation, my home course at Destin, one where I did it on the TV show, where the lake, big lake, is on the left. You can see it in the video. I'm putting 
downhill. The lake is on my left, and the puck breaks six to eight inches to the right away from the lake. That's, it, it breaks where it breaks. And, and I learned that from Mark Sweeney in learning aim point green reading, where I read the green with my feet. I feel the slope. And, you're, you know, your eyes fool you, but your feet won't fool you on feeling slope because it's something we do naturally. I mean, I stand on sidewalks talking to people outside of church, and I'll be standing there going, huh, the sidewalk's a 4% slope because I'm feeling with my feet, and I know how to evaluate it according to aim point. Rob, one more before I let you go. And, and you've also got a great tip around distance and how far you hit it based on curvature. Right. We, we may, we may be a slicer of the golf ball. You know, one time I hit the shot of my life and I hit my seven iron, you know, 170 yards, but typically I'm slicing it. The ball may travel 170 yards if you really measured it out, but it's going, you know, 15 yards, 20 yards right. So I really not hitting it the distance 170 towards the pin. Talk about how to calculate distance and you know, kind of being honest with ourselves about what club we need to use. Yeah, exactly. And one, one way you can see that is take an alignment stick, which is really bendy, and push it along the ground so it touches the wall. Hold the end not touching the wall still, and then start to bend the stick. And you'll find the tip isn't touching the wall anymore. It is moving away from the wall. So because of that, that change in, in the radius and the curvature of the stick, if you're slicing the ball 15 yards, yeah, that one you hit dead straight that went 170, if you hit your normal 10, 15-yard fader slice, it's going to come up 5, 10 yards shorter than it will when you flush one dead straight. So you have to factor that into your club selection sometimes and understand that if there's a front right bunker, you have to aim a little farther left, take a little more club to make sure you clear that bunker and give yourself an accurate representation of how far you hit the ball. Rob, before I let you go, remind our listeners about your great golf academy that you have there at Kelly Plantation in Destin, Florida, and all the different ways that we can keep up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's online or on social media. Well, gosh, do we have enough time left in the show for me to go through all that? I mean, um, as, as one other pro said, Strano, you're everywhere. And, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, StranoGolf.com is the website where you can find out about the academy. Kelly Plantation. It's a half a mile from the Gulf of Mexico. It sits on the south side of Choctawhatchee Bay. We've got views of the bay, great practice facility. Um, you know, we've got all the technology we need at the academy. Um, we'd love to have anybody that wants to work on the game come visit us there. Social media, Strano Golf, on all the, the social media platforms. Um, the TV show is the Golf Kingdom. Um, as you mentioned, it's a variety show. We do some crazy stuff. This week's show open is. The Kingdom Bunch. So if you hear this song, here's a story, a lovely lady. Well, <laughs> we're doing the Kingdom Bunch this week on the Golf Kingdom with all of the characters that I do on the show to help your game. So you can find the Golf Kingdom on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. Regionally here in the South, we're on Blab TV, which you can also watch online or along the Gulf Coast on your local channels. Coming soon. I have the Golf Kingdom TV app where you can download the app, seven-day free trial. All the shows are there. All the segments are cut out. If you want to work on 
full swing, putting, bunker play, on course. All the key segments are cut out for you to go watch. I have a forum there where I'm posting daily stuff to help your game. All the guest segments are there. It's, it's the one place where you'll go and find all the Golf Kingdom stuff you need to, to enjoy watching a very, very fun show. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of everywhere and easy to find if you need me. Well, Rob, I can't thank you enough for uh, being generous with your time and coming back on the show. Always fun when you're here, my friend. I hope uh, we get to do it again real soon. Chris, Chris, it's great to be with the number one guy in golf, talk show host on Next on the Tee. Great to be here and great to be here. I appreciate you, Rob. Stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. You bet. See you. See you, Rob. That's a great Rob Strano, S-T-R-A-N-O is the spelling of his last name, StranoGolf.com uh, is the website, and StranoGolf all over uh, social media. Uh, the Golf Kingdom, folks, it's it's a different kind of show. Like he says, he, he does a lot of different things. It's uh, it's the only golf uh, variety show you're going to find. Uh, but uh, in, uh, in with the fun, he, there's a lot of great tips and a lot of great information. Rob makes the show a lot of fun to watch, so uh, I highly recommend it. You can also get a tip on uh, on Amazon Alexa, so you can tell Alexa to enable the Golf Kingdom uh, app, and uh, you can uh, check that every day. Rob gives you a free golf lesson, so that's also a thing you need to do as well. So looking forward to catching up with Rob. Always a lot of fun. We'll get him back on the show again soon. Before I get to my next guest, Kelly Stenzel, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world, and that remains their mission today. They forge every club they make to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And their craftsmen micromanufacture each club to your exacting specifications in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. You'll only find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment online at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them there today to learn about their great products and their great prices. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus four technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play plus four and release the secret the pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me is Kelly Stenzel. Let me remind you about Kelly's background. She's from Geneva, New York, which is an upstate between Buffalo and Syracuse. She played her college golf at Furman, where she lettered all four years. During her senior season, she led Furman to a second-place finish in the NCAA Finals. After college, she played professionally for five years on the Futures Tour, the European Tour, the Asian Tour, the South African Tour, and the Australian Tour. She is now one of the top instructors in the game. Golf Magazine has named her one of their top 100 instructors. Golf Digest and Golf for Women magazines have named her one of the top 50 best women teachers in the game. She is a PGA American Master Professional. She's written several books, including The Women's Guide to Golf, The Women's Guide to Consistent Golf, and The Women's Guide to Lower Scores. 
Golf Magazine has also named her one of the most beautiful women in golf. She's teaching now down at Boca Raton Resort and Club in Palm Beach, Florida, and I'm very delighted to have her back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Kelly, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you a bit. So, Kelly, it's it's been a minute since we got to catch up with you, and I know this has been a crazy year. What's been going on with you so far in 2020? Well, you know, Chris, I try to make the best of every situation that I've I've been in, and I think this year has kind of been an example of it. Obviously, everybody's had to make a lot of changes and sacrifices, but there's always my glass is always half full. So while we had a change in our school life with our son having a school kind of end in March and come home and do online school, and we here hunkered down here in Florida for quite a while, we laid pretty low. And then when things started to get a little bit better, I have to tell you, I was so lucky to be able to go out west and teach a bit this past summer. So I spent July teaching in Jackson Hole at Shooting Star Golf Club, which if you've never been to Jackson Hole, it is a special place. And this golf course and the members and the staff were really just kind of off the charts. It's just a very, very special place and just super people. And then, Chris, what happened was once we got out there, and realized there was no huge reason to come back to Florida in August, and New York was a bit off the table for us. My son and I just stayed out west for the month of August and traveled through Montana and went to some of the national parks and visited some friends and clients and really tried to make make the best of it. And And what's nice now is while I see everybody being kind of safe and careful and respectful and mindful, you know, we're lucky in golf that we can be outside and and it does feel safe because it is easy to social distance with golf instruction. So while I know there's been a lot of people who have struggled and had some difficult time, you know, I've tried to share with my son and my family that you really got to make the best of it and always look, you know, at the positive side of it. And, and family time has been, you know, one of our advantages of this. I've spent an awful lot of time with my son and we've, we've, gotten along extremely well considering how much time we have in together. So, okay, now that raises a question for me because I've always wanted to go to Jackson Hole. I've always wanted to go up through Montana and that area because everything I've ever seen about it is beautiful. So take me through, what did you get to see while you were kind of up in that area? We went last summer. The head pro at Shooting Star, he and I worked together at Sabonic for one summer. So last summer, what happened was he called me and said, hey, listen, do you want to come out and do a ladies' school? And I about jumped through the phone and said yes. And I almost said, like, you don't have to pay me uh, because I was so excited <laughs> to go. Because because it is. It's just like this really special place. But just the town of Jackson, it's right next to Grand Teton Park, which just the mountains are so spectacular. and and uh, shooting star in particular, it's right next to Jackson Hole Mountain. So while I'm giving golf lessons, there's hot air balloons literally floating over the range. And then the paraglide, you know, adventurous, crazy people, they're literally jumping <laughs> off the mountain, flipping around, screaming like, woohoo, while we're giving golf <laughs> lessons. And it's, it's just like incredibly beautiful and distracting and a very kind of outdoor atmosphere. But the town of Jackson is just cute and fun, and everybody seems very happy. But the nice thing is you're so close to Grand Teton, and then only like an hour and a half from Yellowstone. So it's just 
so special. I mean, Yellowstone, if you've never been there, just have to go. I mean, it's, I've been fortunate as a kind of a world traveler playing every foreign tour known to women and never really seen anything quite like this. And we also uh, went all the way up to Glacier, which is a long way from Yellowstone. It doesn't look that far on the map, but just like the vistas and the views and seeing, we saw my son and I saw snow in July last summer. So it's just wow. so different. Yeah, when you're coming from Florida where it's, you know, it's like 90 to 100 every day and you get to see it's snowing in July, it's pretty cool. But it's, it's just, besides it's beautiful and there's so much to do, just the vibe. The people are really happy. They're very outdoors. Um, it's just a wonderful environment to be around. And the golf is phenomenal. So talk to me about the golf. Is, in, when you're giving lessons, is it different in that part of the country than it is down in South Florida? I imagine... You know, I mean, I'm in Georgia, right? So I mean, it's not all that different from from what's in Florida. I mean, we get hot, humid summers. And when I th- when I'm thinking about the other part of the country, up in that Jackson area, Montana, all of that, I'm I'm thinking cooler, lighter air. It's probably a little bit different. Is the game different? Or am I just imagining that? You know, I think the game's different simply because the ball goes farther, and it does because of the thin air. It's just fun to see. I mean. I'll I'll take all the distance that I can get these days. So my 11-year-old is starting to outdrive me now, which is wow. a good and a bad yeah and a bad thing. <laughs> you know, I'm like I'm happy for I'm happy for him, but I've got my speed sticks out. You know, I'm trying to I'm working really hard to try to maintain a game, but just the views are so spectacular, and those are always my favorite golf courses where the scenery is beautiful. I mean, we played just some amazing golf courses out there. We went and played Stock Farm, which is in Missoula, Montana. We really went out of our way to play it. And it was just stunningly beautiful. And they were wonderful hosts. And uh, Snake River Golf Club is another beautiful course in the area. It was a little tougher this summer, obviously, because most of the private clubs were only having member play. But this is just so scenic. It's so enjoyable. Just besides fun playing golf, it's just fun to look around and see the animals and like the bald eagle flying around the golf course and the deer on it's just it's very special i love florida florida's home but there's something very special about out west and anybody can reach out i'm happy to you know give them some advice to where to go and places to go and things to do it's very special hi kelly i want to switch gears a little bit because now now that you're talking about your 11 year old starting to outdrive you and and I know I've got a a 20-year-old son who is is well out driving me now. So I need some help with distance. And, and I saw that you put an article out not that long ago for Golf Magazine. So I kind of want to go through some of the tips that you have for the rest of us for how we can gain a little bit extra yardage. And I want to talk about starting with getting center face contact. I think that's something we all struggle with. Sometimes we're hitting it on the toe. Sometimes we get it on the heel. Sometimes a little high. Sometimes a little low. How can we do a better job of getting consistent center face contact? Well, Chris, I think that almost always goes back to having a good setup. I like to say that if you have a good setup and you're in good posture, the golf ball will try to get in the way. And I think for a newer, newer golfer, they look at somebody who's swinging really fast and it's amazing that they can hit it and hit it every time and hit it well. But I, you know, you look at like Justin Thomas and you look at his posture. I mean, it's perfect. He's bent from his hips. 
His hands are hanging right below his shoulders, where his arms literally, if they were totally relaxed, would just return there through there every single time. So to me, it's about, you know, getting in a really great posture each and every time. And I think a lot of times what golfers don't understand is it's the same posture for every club. It's the same posture from your sand wedge to your driver. You're just changing your distance from the ball as the club gets longer or shorter. So good good posture and a really consistent setup routine. And Kelly, take us through some of the other things. As you watch, you know, the hackers like me that come and we're coming to get lessons, you know, from you. Where are some other places that we are losing distance that we just don't even realize we're doing it? Yeah, I know. I, I hear you. And it's, you know, it's fun to look at a golfer and, and I love new golf swings and trying to fix what is the most important fundamental that's being violated. And then what happens a lot of times is other things will just get better. So, you know, obviously, as you were speaking about slicing the ball, you know, that's always coming from an open club face. So the most easy way to fix an open club face is to improve a grip. And what happens a lot of times with an open club face is the path will change and it just makes the, you know, it just makes the things all go haywire from the most most basic fundamentals. So I'm a slave to the club face. If the club face isn't pretty good in a golf swing, if it's not relatively square, as a result of the grip, then you'll see a lot of other compensating errors trying to make two wrongs make a right. So club face and grip. And I, and Chris, I think one of the challenges with grip and especially if we're talking about the lead hand is a lot of golfers just think they just, just put their thumb straight down the middle of the grip. And honestly, I'm not sure I've ever seen a proper grip for anybody. And I believe that everybody's grip should be different based upon how they're built. But I'm not sure I've ever seen a proper grip where the lead hand, the thumb was straight down. It's almost always off center to a certain degree. And then, you know, the manufacturers, they're putting those markings on there to know when the grip is straight. And I think a lot of times golfers think those lines are for their thumb to go straight down. So it's, you know, another example of where golf isn't always the most intuitive game. So, Kelly, let's take that grip idea you know, one step further. Is the grip always the same regardless of shot? Or is there a time, whether it's, you know, based on the, the shape that you need to try to hit the ball or the distance if you're chipping, is it different at a different time? And if so, what is that time? Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a really good question. How long are we speaking? No, I'm just kidding. Um, it really depends on the golfer and it depends on how simple or complicated you want to make it. I remember reading an article that Tiger had written that he had like, I don't know, it was like seven or eight different grips for his short game, which, which Tiger can probably do. You know, he probably does it by instinct because he's does, done it his whole life. So I would say for a beginner golfer, you know, other than putting, they probably just want to go with one grip and kind of keep it simple and, and keep it pretty big picture. But you can change your grip to obviously change the club face, which would definitely change the curve or not of the golf ball. So I'll give you an example. So golfers, newer golfers, oftentimes don't think they can curve the ball on demand. And I like to show them that they can 
simply so they could fix the problem that they were playing. So if let's say I've got a right-handed golfer. If they took both of their thumbs and put them very far right on the grip, like turn both of those hands, thumbs way right, the ball will tend to curve left. And vice versa, if it was a right-handed golfer and they took their thumbs and they put them way on the left side of the grip, what would happen is the face would tend to open and open face would always produce, not always, but more times than not because it's the predominant factor, a slice. So if a golfer understands how rotating their hands changes the face and therefore the curvature, that's very empowering because if you understand that, let's say you were slicing the ball and you knew that thumbs right made the ball go left, well, you could just start to add a little bit of that in and fix 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 yourself. So understanding cause and effect, applying that to short game, you know, if you wanted to hit a little higher and softer, you know, you could turn your thumbs toward the target. If you wanted to go a little lower and running, you could turn your thumbs away from the target. But, you know, pick your poison. How complicated do you want to be? And what is the real game to it? I think the more experienced golfer can be a little fancier and those just looking to have fun and be reliable might just kind of keep it simple. Kelly, one of the other things that I see uh, within my own group of guys when we're playing um, is ball position being the exact same on every every club, whether it's a driver all the way down to a pitching wedge. Talk about where the ball position needs to be as we start to kind of go down in, in our in our bag, whether it's starting with driver and then ending with our uh, pitching wedge. Secrets, I might be a little bit different on this, you know, because as I read, you know, I do a lot of work with Golf Magazine and Golf.com, and I, I'm always, you know, reading the articles and seeing what other instructors are, are writing and, and saying. Uh, my opinion is a little bit different than most, and there's a reason for it. So I like to see, and everybody's different, but I like to see for the ball on the ground, because the fairways are cut so tightly at a lot of these golf courses, I like to see the club position relatively centered for pretty much every club because these fairways are so tight these days. I'm seeing golfers, even tour players, make divots after their five woods. So where when I learned you played the ball forward because you'd sweep the ball off a longer grass, I'm, like, I'm liking to see the ball relative, excuse me, the club relatively centered when the ball's on the ground. So the ball would be minimally forward of center. And then driver is like a different animal. It plays to a different set of, uh, rules, in my opinion, you know, the ball is very forward, kind of that forward instep so the shoulders can tilt back away from the target, helping the golf golfer hit a little more up on it. And the reason why I don't like to see the ball move forward very much with longer clubs is simply for the reason that I just see so many normal everyday golfers, which is mostly my student, they'll start to hit the ground before the ball. Because they don't have a lot of that lateral lateral motion moving forward that a tour player might have. So, like I said, I might be a little bit different and kind of keeping club relatively centered ball on the ground, but driver very, very forward. And everybody's different. You know, if, if you were playing the ball too far back and you started to miss it to the right for a right-handed golfer, then you could start to move it a little bit forward. But just make sure when you take your practice swing and it hits the ground, you better put the golf ball in that position where that club's hitting the ground. And I don't see it changing that much. For, for hybrids and for fairway woods, for that matter. Kelly, just a couple more before I let you go, and I want to get a short game tip from you. So when we're close, maybe just a little bit off the green, five yards, 10 yards off the green, and we need to chip it close. One of the things that a lot of us struggle with is distance control. 
How can we do a better job of that? Well, these are such good questions, and there's so many ways to do it. I wish we had a little more time. But when I'm looking to hit a shorter shot, I always like to use my setup to help me to really get ahead of the game. So if you grip really low on the handle, it's physics that's going to make your lever shorter. And if you put your feet really close together, it's going to limit, limit your flexibility and help you to take it back shorter. So gripping down, stance narrow, and then just almost feeling like it's a putting motion where there's a lot of, not a lot of hinge or release can help the motion to stay smaller. And I might on that note also mention that, you know, for any of your listeners, I've got, it's free. If you've got Amazon Prime, I've got two full-length videos, one of which is short game that they can go on. And if they're Amazon Prime members, they can get all that information for free. And it's been fun to share that with people. So using the setup to help control the distance and maybe a little more lofted club, but, you know, using your stand wedge instead of maybe a pitching wedge to help limit your flight to roll. So, yeah, that was my other question. Are are you a subscriber to it's the same club all the time if it's a, a flat lie and we're not having to, you know, hit up over a bunker or something along those lines where we got to get a little more law. But if we're just, you know, to a straight back left pin, you know, we're five or 10 yards short of the green. Is, is it the same club all the time or, or are you looking at a different law based on distance or that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, I'm a bit of a chicken here and I'm a... <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to just keep my score down as low as it possibly can be for that of myself and my student. So the easiest way to control distance is just to change the club. You know, if I, and I like to calibrate. So let's say you learn one basic chipping motion, then take every single one of your clubs, take your lob wedge, take your sandwich, take your gap wedge, take your pitching wedge, take your nine iron, eight iron, whatever, and take that same stroke and see how far the ball wants to go. Don't try to make it go anywhere. See how far it wants to go. And if you can learn one basic chipping motion and just change the club and have a whole gamut of distances. And the beauty of that is, let's say I'm chipping with my eight iron from 30 yards. It's never going to be a big stroke. And if it's not a big stroke, it's never going to be a big error. Versus if you take your sand wedge and try to take an above hip swing, and if you don't quite hit the ground, it's gone. So... Obviously, everybody is going to have different methods, but I'm trying to minimize risk for myself and for my students. That's a fantastic tip. I'm going to try that one. Kelly, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and uh, follow you, whether it's on your website or it's on social media? Yeah, the easiest way to reach me is through my website, Kelly, with an IE, kellystensilgolf.com. I also am on Facebook at Kelly Golf. Twitter, Instagram. So anything I can do to help them with their golf game. Also, if they wanted to take an online lesson with me, they can reach me through the Skillist platform. But the easiest way is to reach me through my website. And I'm always happy to help any golfer. You know, if you're struggling or you need advice, you know, if there's anything that I can do, I'm always happy to help. Well, Kelly, I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show tonight. It's always a good time when you're a part of the show. I hope you'll come back and do it again soon. Yeah, Chris, you do an amazing job, and your listeners are super lucky to have you, and it's always my pleasure. So anytime you need me, I'd be happy to come back on and chat more about golf. I appreciate you, Kelly. Stay safe out there. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Have a wonderful rest of your day. See you, Kelly. Bye. That's the great Kelly Stenzel, folks. 
And uh, the spelling of her last name is S-T-E-N-Z-E-L, kellystenzogolf.com. I tell you, folks, when you look out, and as she mentioned, the the lessons available on Amazon Prime, but there's so much great content on her website and on YouTube for some of the lessons that uh, we talked about tonight, and and it's certainly a whole bunch more. She's a, a fantastic instructor, right? You don't get to be a master professional without being one of the very best in the game. But uh, on top of you know her knowledge, just her approach. I mean, you can hear it in her voice, right? The positivity and how much she really wants to help you with your game. You, you put those two things together and you can't lose. So be sure to give, uh, give her a follow on social media and be sure to check out her website as well. Looking forward to having her back on the show as soon as we possibly can. All right, before I get to my next guest, John Goen, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the McLemore. The McLemore Mountaintop community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts, the resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen. Designed by Bill Bergen, the Karen provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themclemore.com or give them a call at 800 800- Three two nine eight one five four. All right, now joining me here on Next on the T is John Goen. I want to give you some background on John. He grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia. He started in the golf business in 1993 out in Phoenix. He joined the TPC Network in Las Vegas in June of 2001. He and his wife moved to Memphis when he was promoted to head golf professional at TPC Southwind in May of 2003. In 2018, John became the Director of Business Development for Spring Creek Ranch at Jack Nicklaus Signature Golf Course in Collierville, Tennessee. In May of 2019, he bought what was then the Plantation Golf Club in Olive Branch, Mississippi. It's now Timber Trust Golf Course, and I'm very honored to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, John, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. John, I, I want to start by kind of going back to your beginnings in the game. Every time I have a, a brand new guest on the show, I kind of like to learn, you know, when did you first start to fall in love with the game? And, and for you, 
When did you decide that being a PGA professional was the route you wanted to go? So I was introduced to the game of golf uh, probably 12, 13 years old uh, on a cross-country trip with uh, my dad uh, up in Wisconsin with a bunch of his brothers. We went out on a golf course up there uh, and, you know, really kind of enjoyed my time and, you know, really kind of took it up from there, um, you know, and, and continued to kind of keep playing uh, and played in high school and then played a couple of years in, at a small college uh, outside of uh, Asheville, North Carolina called Brevard. And decided uh, in the early 90s to, to move out to Arizona. My, my dad was living out there and uh, I got in the golf business. Um, was fortunate enough to kind of, it was one of those, uh, I guess, freakish encounters. I was, I was hitting range balls at a public golf course there in, in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, and the head professional at the time came out and talked to me, talked to me about getting in, into the golf business, uh, actually helped set up a, an interview for me. Uh, and I became a, 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 a cart kid, you know, just like everybody else that starts off in the business and, and then kind of moved through the, the ranks from there. So, um, you know, it was just, it was always, it was one of those sports that I, I took rather quickly to and, and really enjoyed playing and then had a great opportunity in the early nineties to really kind of get in, uh, before the, the whole Tiger Woods boom. And, um, then, you know, met my wife and, and we moved around the country from there, so, you know, we're, we were in Phoenix and then uh, moved to Seattle. We were in Seattle for about four years. My wife's from the Pacific Northwest and then had a great opportunity to get in the TPC network uh, at TPC Summerlin that was, of course, just hosted the Shriners event um, this past weekend. And then, of course, you know, came to Memphis and, and was at Southwind for 15 years and, and sat in both the head professional chair and the GM chair and was a part of 16 FedEx St. Jude Classics and um, you know, and then had a great opportunity to join the, 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 the crew at, at Spring Creek Ranch and, and what a great staff and what a great golf course. And then really just kind of jumped out on a, on a limb a little bit. Um, you know, had a, had a opportunity to, to go buy a public golf course in North Mississippi. And, um, we've just had a, a great time with it. It's, it's been a year and a half now and, and, you know, it's, it's something, uh, to, to just be able to walk in and have, a lot of freedom to make decisions and to get involved in, in what we've done and, and really just try to take something and, and, uh, you know, make it, make it something new, special, fun, uh, and really kind of bring people back to the game of golf. And, you know, we've, we've definitely seen that through the course of this year in particular, as so many people have had so, you know, so many challenges through COVID and, and, uh, you know, obviously trying to juggle home life and, and everything else and to, to help give folks some normalcy and get out on the golf course and, and provide a fun experience, um, you know, especially with the fin cycles and everything else. It, it's just been a, a really fun time for me. And, you know, it, you know, you're looking at, at being in the golf business now for 27 years and, and, you know, to, to have something that kind of reignites you a little bit has, has really been a, a joy for me and, kind of brought me back to, to, you know, the, the enjoyment of why we got in, in into this business to begin with. So John, I, I want to talk about a lot of the things that, uh, that you just sort of walked us through and, and my family and I, we, we lived in the Memphis area for many years. TPC Southwind is probably the best golf course, you know, in the city. Talk about what it was like being the head pro at a course that now hosts the world golf championship event. You know, we had the FedEx there, FedEx St. Jude, for many years now, it's a WGC event. What was it like being a part of uh, those golf tournaments? 
Well, you know, as as a young person getting into the golf business, I mean, you know, you always wanted to be a part of, of a PGA Tour event. You know, it was one of those dreams that you had and, and you know, to have an opportunity to, to get involved in, in something like that and especially to sit you know, in that in that head professional chair, and is is just something that you ha- you have to feel awfully good about. Um, you know, the just the overall experience and and everything that you're working through between you know the behind the scenes and the merchandise tent, and you know having ten different you know types of golf balls because every tour player during a tour event has their own you know ball type that they have the ability to be able to hit you know so and sorting through those and and having those ready for everybody and you know to to be one of the few folks throughout the world that have an opportunity to be able to do something like that was was very special and it was at a time you know in my life where I've you know my my kids were young um you know we were we were a young family in Las Vegas and and moved here with you know, my oldest daughter at the time was, was three and my youngest was not even quite a year old yet. And, you know, to, to have them be able to experience that and and be a part of it and just, you know, have my family be around was, was a lot of fun. Uh, and you, you know, I look back on those times and, you know, again, feel very, very fortunate to have the opportunity to, to sit in that chair and, and, and be a part of an event, especially with a charity such as St. Jude that, uh, you know, you raise money for, for kids that have, you know, so many different types of ailments and, and to help those families, you know, not have to pay, you know, their, their medical bills and stuff like that is just, again, a, a very, um, a very true blessing and an honor, uh, that, that I had the ability to be able to do it for as long as I did. And John, uh, your court, the course of your career has, uh, kind of crossed paths of uh, a couple of really great friends of the show. The first guy is Sean McKeel. And I know Sean is, very much uh, a part of the Memphis community and uh, certainly played at, at the TPC Southwind for many years. I was curious if you had an opportunity to spend time with him. <laughs> so I actually have. Uh, Sean and I actually one winter uh, were part of the same uh, duck club. Uh, you know, Sean got a, a piece of property, a, a duck lease, and invited me to be a part of it. So um, I've spent quite a bit of time with Sean and obviously gotten to know Stephanie over, over the years. And, and, you know, we hosted the, the Make-A-Wish event here in Memphis for, uh, you know, several years when I was at Southwind and obviously Sean was involved with that for some period of time. And um, so, you know, had, had the opportunity to, of course, get to know Sean, his family, you know, his his mother, his mother and father um, as well. And, you know, what, what a great person, Um, you know, obviously huge for the game uh, here in the, in the city of Memphis. It was, it's kind of funny that, you know, the the year that we moved here in May of 2003 was the same year Sean won the the PGA championship at Oak Hill. So uh, it was interesting moving to this city from Las Vegas and, and uh, you know, having a a local homegrown product, uh, you know, win a major and how this city reacts. Um, to something like that. It's, it's been amazing. You know, I've always thought that Memphis is kind of the, the biggest, um, or the smallest big city, you know, around, um, they, they are just so involved in their sports teams and so passionate about them. And you take guys like Sean McKeel. Now, of course, Doug Barron's one on the champions tour, Lauren Roberts being the legend that he is on both the regular tour and the champions tour. Um, 
you know, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of great golfers that have come out of this Memphis market. You know, Casey Wittenberg and David Gossett and, and others, uh, and a lot of them have come out of TPC Southwind. So, but uh, you know, had 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 a great time getting to know Sean, and and obviously uh, still you know kind of keep tabs on him uh, as he's you know still trying to play on the Champions Tour. And um, but uh, really enjoyed that what that winter we went duck hunting and, and got to freeze our tails off in a duck blind together. So, John, what's from all the time that you spent out at TPC Southland, give me give me one or two favorite stories about what you got to see or be a part of. <laughs> well, there's a couple. And both, unfortunately, involve Phil Mickelson. Uh, or maybe fortunately. Um, so probably the first or second year that Phil was here, so it was probably 2010, 11, something along those lines. Uh, I was standing out um, on the practice tee at, at TPC Southwind. Uh, I think it was round two. It was a Friday. Phil's getting ready to tee off at 10 tee, uh, morning tee time. And um, the previous day, he had been hooking his hybrid off the tees. And, you know, there's some shorter par threes uh, or par fours, I should say, out at, out at TPC Southwind, 12 to but, you know, Phil was looking to probably hit hybrid off of and, and, and 12 in particular with the water up the right hand side for him. I mean, hooking a, a hybrid, he's, he's going to hit it. You know, he's going to overdraw it, draw it into the water and of course take a penalty. So Bones comes walking up to me and he says, is there anybody here? Because of course the trucks leave on, on Wednesday. Um, is there anybody here who can bend a club? And I'm like, sure, absolutely. He's like, okay, great. Come with me. So I walk up and Bones says, Phil, this is John. He says, John, good to meet you. I said, yep, thanks. He says, uh, he says, well, here's what I need. And I'm thinking need to bend a club, need, meaning need to bend an iron. Well, turns out that it's a hybrid. So, you know, carbon top on a, on a, on a Callaway hybrid at the time, the carbon fiber top. And so he's like, I, I need you to flatten this like a degree or two if you can. I'm like, okay, well, you know, for all of those who have a bit of an enthusiasm towards club repair, you know, we all use the Mitchell machine. And, you know, so you go down into the cart barn, into the bag storage room at TPC Southwind, and you tighten the hybrid down into the Mitchell machine and, and you know, you grab the bar and, and you start kind of tweaking on it. And, you know, for about normal, you're sitting here going, okay, let's see. So if I break this, um, how do I go to <laughs> Phil Mickelson on 10 T box and explain to him exactly what happened? So, you know, you, you, you try to wiggle it a little bit and you try it. And then, you know, one time I just tried to lean into it just a shade and you kind of hear a little bit of something and you're like, okay, I'm done. And, <laughs> you know, just kind of done. And so, um, I, I get done. Phil's probably about five minutes. I meet him in the tent, the scorer's tent on 10 T box underneath the ropes, walk up. Hey, Phil, here's, here's the hybrid. He sets it down on the ground. He says, yeah, that looks a little bit. He says, that looks better. I appreciate it. And away I went, watched him teed off on T on 10 and, uh, and away he goes. And, um, so sure enough, there's no way in this world I probably flatten that club at all. I heard the top of it kind of 
you know, it's like when you stretch a shirt a little bit, right? You, you hear the seam kind of pop a little on it and you're like, Ooh, uh-huh. man, that's not good. So I left <laughs> it alone and I'm like, here you go. Here's here. Here it is. I don't know what I did to it. Probably nothing good. So that was that story. The, the next one. Uh, so, um, again, Phil's gone for a couple of years. I've got, I've got a new locker room attendant for the event and, uh, you know, he is like on fire. Uh, you know, Phil comes in. I kid you not. He's knocking small children aside to make sure that he gets to Phil Mickelson's shoes, um, <laughs> so that he can make sure that he can, he can he can clean them and get them ready. And so uh, Phil Phil comes in and and he's like, you know, guy the gentleman's name's Carol. Carol says, "What did you do?" He says, "I've taken these to three different locker rooms, and the guys couldn't get this one scuff out of them." And you know, Carol walks him through the process. He's like, "Okay, great." Sure enough, Bones comes in the locker room. He's got two additional pairs of shoes. And he's like, hey, I need to give these to Carol and Carol only. And we're like, okay. I mean, sure. Carol's right there. So he brings them in. He says, hey, Phil wanted me to give these to you. So you get done, you know, you get done through the event. And we all know you hear the stories about how generous Phil is. And so he's, he's you know, wrapped up for the week. I think he finished tied for second that, that week. And he, he walks into the locker room and he's, he's getting ready to kind of settle up with Carol and says, Carol, he says, you know, I can't thank you enough. He says, I'm getting these new shoes from Callaway. I'm going to have them shipped to you, get them polished up for me. And, and I'll send, ship a label to you and send them out to me. He says, I, but I would appreciate it. He says, you're the best giant guy I've, I've seen on tour. And so, um, he, he, he gets, he reaches into his pocket and he kind of, you know, he's getting ready to hand Carol some money and he literally kind of he says, give me one second. He kind of pokes around the corner real quick and kind of like is counting just to make sure exactly what he wanted to give Carol. And he says, nope, yep, nope, that, that looks about right. And he just hands them like a stack, you know, folded over like large roll stack full of money, just hands it to Carol. And he's like, you know, we'll see you next year. And I mean, I'm not going to get into the dollar figure by any stretch of the imagination. Needless to say, it was a very, very generous sum of money for for seven days of of, of shining shoes. But uh, it was it was just an incredible story. Carol actually said he went into the, uh, the one of the the men's stalls to to look and count the money to see what it was. Uh, it was because he was just kind of blown away by by what had happened. <laughs> but uh, it was just it was just a comical week. So, wow, those, those are, are great stories. stories. I, yeah, no, Sorry. I appreciate you sharing them. Those are great. Um, you also, uh, as you mentioned, you, you you spent some time at Spring Creek Ranch, a beautiful Jack Nicholas designed golf courses where you're where you. I'm assuming you probably crossed paths with another great friend of the show, Scott Felix. Speaking of bending clubs. Um, yes. curious if, uh, you got to know Scott well. So I've known Scott for, for some time. Um, you know, uh, of course, originally when Scott was up at double Eagle, um, you know, basically up in the Cordova area, uh, and as Scott has kind of moved around the city, you know, I, I've probably known Scott for about 15 years or so of the close to 18 years I've lived here. So, uh, hung out quite a bit with Scott, uh, have gotten to know Scott. He is, he is obviously turned into, a a great fitter um, and, uh, you know, has an unbelievable place out there at Spring Creek Ranch. And, and, you know, that place is just, you know, uh, just a very special location. You know, it's, it's the place where 
you can go and really not even feel like you're in Memphis. Um, you know, very rolling, undulated pro- piece of property, a lot of elevation change. Um, Jack Nicholas just did an incredible job. And, you know, the entire group of folks out there from Robert Williams and Greg King uh, and the folks that, that are involved running that, that wonderful property. Um, and, and Scott just adds uh, just a, a, another element out there, enhances the ultimate kind of member experience. And, and of course, Rob Akins is a, a, an instructor out there. So, um, you know, just a, again, a very special place. You know, it's kind of very similar to another well-known golf course here in the state of Tennessee called the Honors Course. I mean, you can literally drive by it and not even know you passed it. And I think that's what that what, what makes that kind of uh, a very unique um, place to go, be able to go play golf, very similar to Pine Valley and, and others. Uh, uh, but um, yeah, Scott, Scott's a great, great guy, uh, obviously very well-known, built in just an incredible reputation for being a, an excellent fitter and, um, you know, is, is just a, a great guy. If you need, uh, if you need a tweak here and there to, to run out, and, uh, he can, he can usually get it solved in a, in a very short period of time. So John, I, I want to move on to your course now, Timber Trust Golf Course. It used to be Plantation Golf Club, uh, down there in, in Olive Branch, just sort of just over the, the Tennessee line there in, in Mississippi. But, Talk about how the opportunity to to buy that golf course came about, and and what struck you to say, you know what, I think I will buy it. <laughs> I, I think I am crazy enough to you know jump out there and do that. <laughs> um, so you know, I think I think we all kind of get to that point. Uh, well, I, maybe we all don't, but some of us do. Um, you know, we 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 pour our heart and our soul into our job. Um, you know, uh, being a, being a PGA professional, I think we all know at times can be a pretty thankless job. And, you know, we work a lot of long hours. We, we work holidays, we work, um, you know, uh, just various schedules and, and, you know, we sacrifice a lot to do what we do for the love of the game. And, you know, um, you get to a point where you have, you know, worked for the, for the PGA tour and the TPC network for 17 years. And, you had the fortunate opportunity to work at a place like Spring Creek Ranch, and you know, you know how many many hours you're you're putting into that. And I think there's just a point in time where you, you want to kind of take a look at it and and do it yourself, um, you know, so that there is some benefit to to you at the end of the day. And so I started looking. I, I was actually talking to a, a good friend of mine who owns a local club car uh distributorship here in Memphis, um, Jim Caldwell and we were talking about a few things and, and actually um talked about really looking at, a, at another local golf course here uh in, in the Memphis market actually up in Lakeland before um plantation came on the market. And um so about a month into that process, um plantation did come on the market and uh I had known the owner uh, for some time. I mean, obviously the folks that own Windyke Country Club, um, at the time, you know, owned Plantation and, um, I've known Russ Garner for some time. And, um, when you really kind of looked at both properties, really felt like that, uh, you could, you could trust and, and feel comfortable with, you know, what it, what Russ had been doing at, at that golf course and, and, uh, you know, kind of what the future kind of held. So, um, 
you know, it was late 2018 uh, or probably early, really 2019 before we got into a final agreement to, to look at buying the property. And, um, you know, we finalized everything in, in May 1st uh, of, of 2019 and, and kind of started from there. And, you know, really just took the, the vision of, you know, how do we bring a lot of what I have learned in the private club side of things? Because really, that's a lot of where I have been my entire PGA career is, is much more private club oriented. And how do we take some of those things and, and bring it into a public market? Plus, how do we make golf fun? Because let's face it, there's there's a lot of things that, that golf has been uh, known for, and fun is not one of them. Uh, you know, and I think so as, as we kind of took the approach of we want to be known as, as the, the golf course and, and Timber Trust is, is a very friendly, uh, you know, there's some shorter holes. You know, our back tees are 6,700 yards total. Um, our, our next setup is a, is a little over 6,200 yards. So it, it's really well designed for the golfer that has the ability to come out and just enjoy a round of golf. It, it could be your career best. It could be your career worst. But at the end of the day, the, the par fives on this golf course are very, very reachable. I mean, you know, the majority of them are probably 460 to 480 yards. And, and for the average golfer, it probably gives them a chance to be able to get, uh, you know, close to the green or on the green in regulation. There are plenty of shorter par three or par fours on the golf course that, again, you know, probably give the average golfer a, a, a mid to short iron into them. Um, and, and, you know, then the, the back nine does get a little bit longer, but overall it is just, it's just a fun golf course that you can come out, uh, enjoy the time with your friends and really have an opportunity to just enjoy the day. Um, and, and, you know, experience a, a what is turning into a well-maintained golf course. We, we've got a great superintendent now who's done a heck of a job getting the golf course in, in, back into shape. And, um, you know, that, that was, that was the vision be different. Uh, and, and that's what we've seen. And, and we've, you know, we've, we've started to do things. I mean, clearly last August we were, we were the first golf course in the entire Southeast. Uh, I, I guess outside of Carolina. Um, but you know, in, in our part of the mid South and this part of the country that, that decided to, to get on board with Finn scooters. Um, you know, we've recently obviously added GPS to our club car fleet, um, to enhance the customer experience. Um, and, and we just do the small things and that's what I feel like public golf should really be about. And we don't really see that a lot within our market. Um, so that's, that's the vision I saw and, and that's the direction in which we're going. And, you know, we see a lot of positive, especially in, you know, kind of the, the tail end of, uh, of year two for us. And, and we look forward to, you know, what the future has to hold. So let's expand a little bit on that, John, and, and the idea of making the game fun. And as you mentioned, getting on board with Finn Cycles, I want to give you a huge amount of credit for, as you mentioned, you know, being the first golf course in the Mississippi, Tennessee, that whole area to add Finn Cycles to your course that, um, that people can ride on and, and make it a heck of a lot of fun from the players that I've talked to. And unfortunately we don't have uh, very many courses where I'm at over here in Atlanta that, uh, that offer it, but from the people that do, 
that have had the opportunity to play on them. They talk about how much, not only how much more fun it makes the game, but it also makes the game so much quicker to play, which makes a ton of sense if you think about it, because when you get on, you know, everybody gets their own. So instead of having to be in a golf cart where two of you are riding and you got to go to your ball, then you got to go to my ball and back and forth, everybody goes to their own ball. So I've, you know, I've heard people talk about it. I got to, I played around in, in, in two hours. I played around in two and a half hours. Talk about what bringing fin cycles onto your golf course has done from a, a fun and a time perspective. Well, uh, you know, and you, you hit the nail on the head right there. Um, you know, we have seen groups that can play in two to two and a half hours with nobody in front of them. Um, you know, the fin scooter goes 15 miles an hour, which is a little bit quicker than a regular golf cart. But, you know, just the response, right? Um, you know, we've had guys that show up with their golf clubs on their back on their motorcycle and take pictures and say, Timber Trust gets it. How much fun can you have on two wheels? You know, um, the, the response has just been incredible, uh, from our perspective. And, and we've, you know, we've, we've grown our fleet because of that. Um, but just look, I'm not playing well today, but I'm on this and this is making all the difference in the world. Um, it's just, it has been amazing. I mean, you know, we, we, we thought that there was potential here. And, and the funny part of the whole thing is that I've got a, I've got a head professional who's a little bit more old school, right? And, and he looked at me when we originally got our first four last August. And he kind of looks at me with this, like, I don't know what in the world you're thinking about doing right now. <laughs> and all of a sudden, when the phone starts ringing, and people are booking them and they just keep going out the door about two weeks in, he looks at me and he's like, I just got to tell you something. I'm like, okay. He says, I was completely wrong. He says, I, I would have never in a million years done what you have done and go out and get these things. But he says, this is, this is a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. And, you know, we've talked about, we, we've not gotten to it yet, but we've talked about, you know, blocking out the first, you know, probably four or five tee times at our golf course. And for those people that need to get to soccer games, that need to get to sporting events for their kids, that need to, you know, get out first thing in the morning before everybody wakes up so I can be home by the time they wake up. Um just for that golfer who, who, because of their lifestyle, because they are family oriented, because there are other things, we are all busy in our life cycles right now, that it creates an opportunity for that person to be able to get out, play golf and get home and then experience the rest of their day. And that's what really, I think that this has the ability to do. We've seen two segments. We've seen the segment that wants to play fast golf. We've seen the segment that they don't care whether they still go out and play in four hours. They have so much fun riding these things around that that's all they care about. Um, and we've had people that tell us that they won't even hop in another golf cart again. 
after this. And from our standpoint, that's great because we are still outside of one private golf course in our area, um, you know, in, in the Mississippi, West Tennessee, Arkansas vicinity, we're still the only people that have them. And, you know, so our fleet has grown. We, we went, we grew four more in, in October of last year to eight. And we grew to, to 16 in May or June of, of this year. And, um, you know, I, I feel pretty comfortable that 16 is a good number for us. Um, you know, especially on the weekends, you know, you get to this time of year where you get a little crisp air and you get some fall feel and, and, uh, you know, it's always a great time. I, I've always said for years that Mid-South fall golf is, is just spectacular as, as most folks have gone to watch their favorite college football team in our area or whatever. And, uh, you know, this year, un- unfortunately, as, 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 you know, you, they've li- been limited in capacity and no tailgating. I mean, we have seen a substantial use of, of the fin scooter on a Saturday because, you know, I can get out, play golf and, and go watch my, my football team come 11 or two thirty or, or whatever. And, um, it, you know, like I said, the fin scooter has just been a, a huge addition for us. It continues to enhance customer experience, which is again, what I touched on earlier with, with a focal point of ours. And it makes us unique. It makes us unique to the public golfer. And, you know, that's how we separate ourselves from our competitors. John, just a couple more before I let you go. And as you talk about, you know, being able to book, you know, the Finn scooter, do you have, um, do your returning golfers that get an opportunity, can they call in and reserve one for their tee time? Do you find that uh, some of those guys get disappointed if one's not available? How do they go about making sure that, boy, that was a lot of fun. I want to make sure every time I come out, I get the opportunity to ride on one of these things. How can they do it? Yeah, so that's, uh, you know, that was one of the reasons that we've expanded, you know, by the numbers we've expanded by is, you know, we just kept seeing the demand. And, um, you know, I, I think that we've kind of gotten to a point now where, where we we feel very, very comfortable um, with 16 because, again, we can send those out. And as they cycle through, um, they go 36 holes on one charge and we can just turn them right back around, spray them off, wipe them down and, and away they go right back out. So. You know, in essence, you, you have 32 additional single rider cart options. And, and in today's COVID environment, uh, it just provides additional flexibility from our perspective. And, uh, you know, so we do encourage um, any of our visitors that if you want to ride on a fin scooter, that when you call and book a tee time, um, that you go ahead and reserve them in advance because they are pretty much first come, first serve. And, you know, for the most part, you know, with, again, 16 of them. Um, we, we don't really run into too many issues where we, we disappoint folks. Um, if anything, it's, it's been interesting. I mean, I had one day where, um, we rented four of them out and literally there were two other tea times that were checking in and they saw them asked if, if they were available in which they were. And then we rented out eight more cycles just by people seeing them and seeing other people rent them. Um, and again, the shares on social media um, and everything just continue to to be so positive, um, and we you know we can't be happier uh, to to be a part of kind of the, the setting the trend within our region of you know really trying to make uh, provide a unique golf experience on a fin scooter. 
And take that a step further. Talk about the unique experience, because one of the things that uh, as I was doing the research on you and your background, obviously coming out of the, the private golf club uh, experiences that you've had, you do a really good job from a customer service perspective, taking the things that you learned about private golf and transitioning a lot of those sort of you know, customer service, attention uh, to detail and those sorts of things. Now, uh, to Timber Trust as a as a public facility. Talk about the difference you make from a customer service perspective. You know, I just think that it's so important to make sure that our customers, one, feel welcome. Um, I think regardless of, of who it is um, or anything along those lines, I think that um, our folks uh, that that come and play Timber Trust need to t- need to know that that they're going to get treated the exact same uh, with anybody walking in and through the door. Uh, we thank every single person that comes out for coming and visiting, and I think that that's important um, because in our environment, the more that we can build relationships. Uh, and the more that we can create a private club feel in a public golf course, um, you know, r- people are looking for community. And it, I, I think that the more that we can create community through different types of events. I mean, our Thursday night two-man scramble has just been crazy. I mean, we've had 36 two-man teams at the peak of our season and we're playing you know, eight sums on tee boxes to make sure that we can, you know, fit everybody in and, and, you know, get a round of golf in. But, you know, those types of things are what are going to ultimately attract people, in my opinion. And the more that you can create that feel, then, you know, welcoming, welcoming to anybody. Um, you know, the amount of, of, you know, female golf activity that we have seen uh, as COVID has continued on, has been substantial. And again, I think that um, if we can continue to make it less intimidating for the female golfer, then um, that's that's the direction in which we want to go. Um, you know, I, I I think that it just it, it just helps so many people. I, I mean, I've said this now. For the last few months, I mean, we have a substantial amount of either golfers returning or new golfers now coming into the game because, again, we have been we've had the ability to create a sense of normalcy for folks in a very challenging time. It is our job now as either golf course owners, PGA professionals or whatever to figure out how we now keep them plugged in and engaged. Finn Scooter is one. Golf simulator indoors is another. Some type of, you know, heated outdoor hitting, you know, bays to, to continue to allow folks to, to work on their golf game, hit golf balls, do something during the winter time is another. And, um, I just think it's very, very important as we, as a, as a business, uh, as, as an association, as a recreational sport have struggled, you know, now for well over a decade that now we have this resurgence and it is so important for us 
to really take advantage of, you know, keeping folks engaged in what goes on because we all know golf is a fun sport to play. We have to get rid of all of this, uh, I guess, old built up analogy of what golf is, you know, button down shirt, got to tuck your shirt in, uh, got to wear a belt, got to do this, got to do that. Um, you know, people call and ask what our dress code policy is. And I said, as long as you're wearing clothes, not a tank top, shorts, t-shirt, tennis shoes, whatever, come out, play golf, have fun, bring your friends, because that's what we need to be. Take down these barriers that people have put into their heads of what golf is and how can we move the needle to keep these folks comfortable and engaged as we continue to move forward and to just continue to provide a great experience for folks that want to come out and play golf. John, that's fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. Everything about what you said during our time tonight is spot on and really an opportunity for us to grow the game. And I can't, I, I can't give you enough kudos for everything that you're doing, your thought process, what you're executing on, and, and I'm sure growing the game in and around Olive Branch, Mississippi. And for, for my listeners that are now, you know, excited about Timber Trust and coming out and seeing what you have there from a golf course, from a playing atmosphere to the, the fin scooters and all that sort of stuff. How can they get more information? follow you guys online and on social media and get out there and play. Yeah. So uh, our website is timbertrustgolf.com. T-I-M-B-E-R-T-R-U-S-S golf.com. You can follow us on social. We're uh, Timber Trust Golf on both Facebook and uh, Instagram. Uh, we had the Oscar Meyer Wiener truck out today. It was great. Out of the blue, showed up in the parking lot came out, played around a golf, and everybody showed up to take pictures of the Oscar Mayer. <laughs> wow. Show. It's common. Wow. But, uh, you know, huge opportunities there, and, uh, you know, we'd love to have folks come out and visit us, not only for Finn Scooter, but just to really kind of see what we're doing uh, and, and really, you know, have a, have a fun, unique golf experience and uh, just continue to, you know, try to see how we can grow this game. Well, John, it's been a blast having you as part of the show. I hope you'll come back and join us again sometime. Talk about how things are going, how it's growing for you, and all the great things you guys are doing. It's just, it's absolutely been a pleasure having you as part of the show tonight. Well, Chris, I appreciate the time. And, and anytime you'd like for me to come on, I, I'd be more than happy to. This has been a lot of fun and, and just a, a great opportunity for us to, to push uh, Timber Trust and Finn Scooters. And I just really appreciate you having me on. Well, I'm glad to have had you. John, take care. Stay safe out there. All the best to you and your family and everybody at Timber Trust. Look forward to catching you, uh, getting you back on the show again soon. Thanks, Chris. Have a great evening. Take care. See you, John. That's John going. G-O-I-N and Timber Trust and TimberTrustGolf.com. Boy, folks, I, I mean, I'm sincerely, everything that he said about the game, growing the game, Thinking about things differently, making the game fun, to me, was absolutely spot on. And, um, you know, kudos. First of all, shout out to our good friend, Paul Brundland uh, from Finn Cycles that uh, said, hey, you need to get John on the show. And he was 100% right about that. 
Um, but uh, I hope that you know, the folks in that area will start to flood that golf course and go check it out and have a good time. Uh, reserve the fin cycles because goodness knows it looks like a lot of fun. Our good friend Mitch Lawrence reached out to me and said, hey, played on a golf course that has them. Absolutely so much fun. Uh, takes the game to the next level. And just think about it, right? And, and it, w- w- now that we're in a world where everybody has to have their own golf cart, right? The game should speed up just because of that. But as we return back to some sense of normalcy, whenever that is, being able to get out on a fin cycle, again, fun just to do it, but everybody going to their own ball. So you're not going to my ball, then to your ball, and then back to my ball, back to your ball, and all that sort of stuff. Everybody kind of moving the game forward constantly is going to speed up your rounds. It's going to get you back home, you know, to spend the rest of your Saturday or Sunday, whatever day you're out there playing. But it just makes tons of sense, tons of fun faster and uh, it helps us grow the game all of that stuff makes what what john's doing at timber trust and what our friends at fin cycles are doing so go check it out go play that golf course let me know if you if you have and how much fun it is and what your experience was like really looking forward to staying in touch with john and having him back on the show again soon all right folks time for me to put a bow on this episode of next on the tee want to send out my sincere thanks again to rob strano Kelly Stenzel and John Going for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And speaking of which, scheduled to join me next week are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, and another one of the top instructors in the game, my long-lost cousin John Mascari, will be back here with me. I'll also be joined by Rich Kozowski. Rich is the creator of the Perfect Motion app that you heard Chip Beck talking about last week here on the show. Looking forward to having Rich as part of the show. You can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great podcasting sites. We are all over the net, folks. You can find us on podcast.co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, TuneIn, Player.fm, and Radio.com. Folks, if you've got a favorite podcasting site, just do a search for Next on the T. I got to believe we're going to be on there somewhere. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you continue to make us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.